This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. See, you know when I walk out here, whew, you are looking at what we have come to know as championship material. All right, what's going on, everybody? How you doing? Episode 270, Talk About Flow Podcast. Big thank you to everybody out there as always. I'm not going to waste any time here at the top. Going to jump right into things. Got a recurring guest on today. One of my favorite. I've probably had him on at this point. His podcast more than anyone else. Talking, of course, about the co-host of Cover One Buffalo Podcast. He does it with Greg Thompson. They do a really good job. My man, Aaron Quinn. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? What's happening, my man? I uh, appreciate you having me on again, and uh, I, I might be the most occurring guest, but uh, I'm definitely not the best guest, so I, I appreciate you having me on, man. <laughs> I don't agree with that, dude. You're my favorite, man. <laughs> I, seriously, I have a nice little vibe with you. I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I thought this before. I'm a little bit jealous that Greg got to you before I did, and I mean, yeah. good for you guys. You guys have a great show, but I always jive with you. One of the things I like having... One of the reasons why I like having you on the podcast, I should say, is, you know, and maybe it's kind of experience, maybe it's just getting to know you well and vice versa. But if you remember, when I first used to have you on the show, they used to have to email you and outline notes, what we were going to talk about. And almost to a fault, I would sit there and type out a bunch of shit. Now, I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but I don't tell you shit. I'm just like, yo, you free tonight? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, so we'll hook up and, and we'll kind of talk. Doing a lot of winging it with you i think that just comes with uh getting to know your partner pretty well you know what i'm saying i'm Absolutely. sure you have that i'm sure you had that kind of report at least to some extent anyway obviously with uh your partner at cover one greg yeah i mean we don't really like five minutes before the show we'll just say hey what are we thinking for the outline tonight and really we're just studying the po- opponent that's the only prep we do but that, as far as the show goes yeah it's just kind of winging it and i felt at least for me, it works a little bit better because I'm not stiff, man. I'm not trying, you know, rushing to try to get things that I jotted down or thoughts that I thought about all day. And it's just a couple guys talking about the bills, uh, which is what I always wanted podcasting for me to be like, because I just love talking bills and like sitting at the bar, having a beer, talking bills with my friends. You know what I mean? Sure. And I got to say this for everyone out there listening. Aaron is not only one of my favorite guests, but he's also one of my most patient because, you know, you're here, people are hearing this and it's just whatever, you press play and no issues. But I'm mean, also a lot of people listening. I've had nothing but goddamn issues with my recording devices lately. And I think this is what our third attempt now at getting it right where you can finally hear me and I can hear you and we can start rolling. So above all else too, you're very patient dude and i oh, I'll tell appreciate you. that about you, you man you might appreciate this while you while you were messing around with your stuff i was i've never gotten around to watching the irishman because it's too long so i've been watching it in like 30 minute chunks so i was just catching a little bit of that while you were messing around anyway so if you, you if, i've if never you have, seen it oh, okay i was gonna say if you have seen it don't spoil it for me uh 
it's too long to watch in one sitting. So I'm going to break it into chunks. So that's where my patience comes from. You enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I've heard I mixed things about it. I, I know it critically has done very well. Um, review wise consensus. I, I've heard a, a, a pretty mixed bag. Some people have loved it. Some people not so much, but yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, no, so far so good. I love gangster stuff, even if it's corny. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that genre. So yeah, well, I'll tell you what, dude, obviously we're going to talk Buffalo Bills. They're headed to the bye now at seven and three before we get there. I don't know if it was last time or the time before I had you on a podcast. I think it might've been last time. It was just a couple of days after the election and we ended up spending a good 35, 40 minutes talking politics and just the election and what we thought about it, why we voted the way we did without giving away too much stuff, you know, not getting too personal, but uh, because I have you on the show, I, I got to kind of uh, share a story with you in a way it's funny, but in a way it's kind of messed up. Um, so today I was listening to, uh, I don't know if it was CNN or NBC or something, but Joe Biden had a, a presser and he had a quote that resonated with me a little bit. He was talking about mask and he said, there's nothing macho about not wearing a mask. And I bring this up because, dude, we've had plenty of conversations. Again, what I have you on, we don't just talk football. We've talked a lot about COVID and just life and cultural things in Buffalo, me down here in Florida. And I wanted to share the story because it kind of relates to not wearing a mask. So again, I'm down here in Bradenton, Florida. And as we've talked about, just the cultural um, attitude towards COVID is far different in Buffalo and New York state than it is down here in New York. New York is obviously very uh, much more restricted. A lot of that's not really a choice. It's mandatory because a lot of things just simply aren't open and what you can and can't do you know, it's different than down here in Florida. Where I basically have said for all intents and purposes anyway, COVID kind of ended like in July. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. anyway, I went last Thursday night, my wife and I went to a bar. I'm not going to name the, the place of the bar. I don't think that's really appropriate for the sake of the story. But I have a very close friend of mine who's from Buffalo and met a girl down here a few months after my wife and I moved down here. They worked together. Fell in love, blah, 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 blah. Ended up moving down here. And anyway, we hang out from time to time. And now his brother moved down here as well with uh, his wife. And he has another brother who just came down to visit. So I went to this outdoor kind of restaurant bar off the water. There's tons of places like that in Florida. And at the table, it's, so it's my one buddy. And it's basically three sets of guy, girl, and, and myself and my wife. I wear my mask into the place. And again, this is all outdoor. No one really has a mask on, but my policy is I wear a mask until I get to the table. And then once I'm sitting down with the people that I'm comfortable around, I trust at the table, I'll take the mask off. Right. So I did that and we, we ate, had a couple drinks. There was some band going on. And again, nobody had a mask on in this place, which is not that surprising for Florida. In fairness, it was, again, it was outdoors and the tables are kind of set apart at least the eating area anyway, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's socially distanced enough where you can still feel comfortable. Now the bar itself is a completely different story. It's outside again, but I mean, that was like bar stool to bar stool people. You know, I don't like that. I don't really want to get into that, but not safe at all. But again, that's kind of par for the course down here. So anyway, my attitude is, so when I go to the bathroom, I put my mask on to go to the bathroom, which is again, I, I go to the bar, 
or I sit at my table and I'll take it off. But if I go to the bar or if I go to the bathroom, I put the mask on. Right. I went to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom and there's this guy and I'm kind of laughing. It's not really funny, but in a way it is. He's, he looks like the kind of guy that, you know, I don't want to be stereotypical here, but he looked like a trailer dude. Okay. I don't know any other way to say it. Yeah. And I got my mask on and I'm in one stall and he's next to the, the stall. Doesn't say it to me, but just gave me a dirty look because I had the mask on, you know, like fucking you puss. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as he walked away, he, he didn't wash his hands. He walked past the sink. Not shocking. But I heard him mumble loud enough that I could hear it. He goes, fucking pussy. That's what he said to me because I'm in the bathroom with a mask on in an outdoor bar. And the reason why I'm, I'm telling you this is it just, it's just another example of just a cultural difference. And I'm not even necessarily saying that these people are right and these people are wrong, but just down here away from Buffalo, where so many people listening to the show are, you know, are, are living right now. It's just not COVID doesn't, I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, but people just refuse to follow the rules basically is what I'm getting at here. I got called a fucking pussy because I had a mask on in the bathroom. My first thought was, well, how does this dude know I am indeed a pussy? Me too. I'm like, I am a pussy. pussy Yeah. I'm like, how did you know that? How do you know I'm a fucking pussy? Well, he's right. Yeah. But my boy being is like, I got called that because I had a mask on in the bathroom because I put it on to go to the bathroom before I went back out. It's just the mentality down here is so different than the, now I know it's a lot of frustrated people and understandably so up up north because people, again, losing their jobs, the bars and restaurants aren't open. I've seen something like only four people now can be to a table in Western New York, if, if I heard that correctly at this time. It's just like, have you noticed a shift from what you've seen in your own experience with people? Are they staying the course in Buffalo and Western New York? Yeah. Or are they... Starting to lose patience, like I said, because down here, you wear a mask, you're at least in certain areas, you're probably going to get called out for it. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I I hate when people use the word pussy to call people like, one, I am, I'm a huge pussy. Uh, So (laughs) if you call me that, it's not going to work to get me to change anything because I know it and I'm cool with it. But the idea that somehow your masculinity is compromised for listening to science uh, or listening to what the recommendations uh, from science are. I don't know. Yeah. That sounds ridiculous to me. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not going to take a side on what people should and shouldn't do, but don't call people a pussy for listening to the majority of scientists in the world. Like there's nothing wrong with it. You know, you're not hurting anyone by wearing your mask. That pisses me off. Um, secondly, up here in New York, man, uh, I don't go out a ton. When I do, it's a very rarely, it's almost shocking. Uh, there's been a few instances where I've seen like one person in a store not wearing their mask or wearing it around their chin. It's definitely not the norm. Uh, I actually, I won't say any names, but it was, we were in a Home Depot uh, a couple weeks ago now. And I saw this guy talking to one of the employees and walking around and his wife is like biting her nails, no mask on. And the dude just had his mask hanging off to the side and just total disregard, right? Like everyone's kind of looking at me. He doesn't care. But then I saw him back up his business van, which was clearly marked all over it with his business and hop in. And I thought that was probably not the best look for that particular person, Um, especially with all that you're supposed to be doing here in New York to just say, hey, 
you know, just to show a blatant disrespect of everybody else uh, and the rules here. Um, I do think there is, at least from my following on Twitter, I think people are starting to get a little frustrated by the rules and uh, things are kind of rolling back and tightening up up here again, back to where they were. Uh, You heard the stuff about what Cuomo was going to do with Thanksgiving and saying you can't have more than 10 people and, you know, people are getting a little sick of that. But I think for the most part with the general rules of you can't go to a store without a mask, if you're going to go out to eat, you have to wear your mask just like you did in Florida. I think people are okay with all that stuff, at least the overwhelming majority of people that I've seen. I think uh, they're running commercials up here about, you know, where Buffalo was in the resurgence of Buffalo and all these businesses opening. I think right now people's concern is how do we keep that resurgence going and keep these businesses and these restaurants and stuff open while still maintaining the rules and not getting shut down, right? Because if we continue on the path of the way the numbers are going, all this stuff's going to shut down again. And a lot of those businesses probably can't afford to do that again. So I think everyone's trying to do the right thing up here. Um, And I hope that's the approach that everyone takes kind of all around the country because we don't want to see these small businesses go out of business because we couldn't do what we were told, you know? Yeah. And listen, man, I don't want to get into a debate because I think it's a very fair argument on both sides. And it does come down to basically Republican states govern Republican states versus Democrat governed states and where they're at in terms of what's open and what's not. And I'll listen to a case and I have my own thoughts and my own beliefs on schools, if they should be open, if bars should be open, if restaurants should be open and stuff like that. If you tell me that they need to be open, you know, for all the shit that Donald Trump and we both have our personal feelings about him. But one thing I've kind of sided with him, at least in terms of policy is I think you do a lot of other damage beyond COVID and death and stuff by having the economy crippled. Sure. You know, I, I do believe now there's fake numbers out there. I saw some report that 200% increase in suicide this year. That's not true, by the way. I've looked that up. But anyway, there's effects to not having things open. That'll take years at a minimum because people are, some businesses are going to close forever. So I understand that side of the fence. Conversely, I understand the data and the science side of the fence as well where it's not safe, it's your responsibility to help protect the people that you love or complete strangers, you know what I mean? So you got to suffer right now and kind of go through stuff. I'm not here to really debate that, but the one thing that drives me crazy, and although this was kind of, again, I sort of got a kick out of it anyway, being called the fucking pussy because I'm like, well, yeah, you're right. (laughs) But anyway, my point was people, not just down here, I'm sure people in New York and all over the country just in certain areas, it's like they feel like their personal freedoms are being attacked because you have to wear a mask. Yeah. That's where I kind of draw the line. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're in New York where there ain't shit open or Florida where they don't shut shit down. There's no harm in wearing a mask. Even if you feel like it's not going to help save somebody or yourself, there's no harm in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so no, I don't understand is- why people, my personal freedoms, because I know that guy and I could tell just by the way he looked at me and the way he said, you know, mumble fucking pussy. He's like, you can't take my personal freedom oh, away. You know, and that's why he feels like he's being attacked. Yeah. That's the shit in this whole thing. My biggest takeaway from the entire COVID 2020 isn't what's open, what's not, or what you're feeling about. It. It's that people actually still think that wearing a mask is like Joe Biden said that like, like there's nothing macho about not wearing a mask. You know right. what I'm saying? He's right. So and it's not a freedom just, thing either. Um, and to the, the first point you made about who's right and wrong, I think, 
most of these types of things, the answer is not either of the extreme, right? It's somewhere in the middle uh, for most things. There's a lot of nuance to each side of both of the arguments and what's going on with the world right now. And I think when you get in the extremes, it lacks a lot of the nuance and arguments for, for each case. But um, as far as the rights thing go, dude, this was already settled uh, years ago. Uh, there's stores are allowed to have the signs that say no shoes, no service, no shirt, no service, all that stuff. It was challenged to the Supreme court level. Uh, they were trying to keep hippies out as long as you're not discriminating and saying somebody of gender or ethnicity or whatever has to wear masks. If it's just a blanket, you can't come into the store without a mask. That's not taking your rights away. And as far as taking rights away, dude, it happens all the time. Your rights are taken away constantly. So all these people complain like, Oh, you can't take my rights. There's all kinds of things you can and cannot do. Uh, It's like, there's laws that prevent you from doing stuff every single day. So uh, it's a really, I don't think it's a sound argument or one based in logic and our lives are impacted all the time. If you go into a mall, there's a ton of stores you can't bring food into. Like some places don't allow food. You can't just take pictures of items. Some places don't allow that. Like you can't just do what you want anywhere you want. That's just, I mean, America is not that free of a place. Yeah. It's just, it's sad. And again, it's at the end of the day, I don't care what anyone tells me. It's a product of a nation that's just divided on everything. For sure, and yeah. that starts, And it starts at the top with the leadership. We don't need to get into that. We all know why it is what it is. But anyway, all right, so let's switch gears here. I just thought that was kind of an, I don't want to say funny, but it was an interesting story about just trying to go out and hang out with your friends and just the way things are in this world. We have talked before. And so now you and Greg do a show live, usually within moments after a Bills game ends. Yeah. Now we have talked about it before. I have told you that, one of the reasons why I forget about having a live show afterwards, I don't even have a podcast on Monday. I like to have my show Tuesday and Friday. And it's not the only reason, but at least part of it is I need, because I am such a knee jerk reactor. I'm such an overly emotional person in the moment that I often want to have a day to really digest a Bills game, good or bad, so that I can have a little more even keel, you know, kind of personality and temperament when I get on the podcast and talk about a game. So we've already talked about you having the pressure of going live after a game. That's got to be hard enough. Like I said, even if it's just a a relatively close game, like that Rams game earlier this year, you know what I mean? Or just that, that's just one example, or like the Tennessee game on a a Tuesday night, whatever. But this game, (laughs) how in the hell, because I have not had a chance, which by the way, separate from that, I usually watch the game. Like my wife loves going out and, socializing and watching the game with a group of people. I'm generally on Bill's game days, very uh, locked in. I like to watch it at home by myself. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to hang around with a bunch of people who are watching the game, but also carrying out conversations about other shit. I usually like to stay home and watch it by myself. But anyway, this game, I actually went with a bunch of friends, which I won't do again, and watched it at someone else's house. And man, I thought about you guys moments after. I'm like, how are people like Aaron and Greg going to get on and talk about this game. That had to have been, and again, you've done enough games now, but it's not like you've been doing this for 20 years. How difficult, or was it not difficult for you to be able to go on live and have to be able to kind of react and process all this shit that's going on in real time? Because it was just a stunning end. It really was. And honestly, the worst part about it is right after it happens, 
that thought of like, oh shit, I got to go online and talk about this. Uh, yeah. Like in that moment is the worst feeling. Uh, once you, it takes a minute to set up, uh, get all your stuff together. We talk a little bit before we go on live. And then once you go live though, man, it's just kind of, you're talking about it. And I think for me, there's something actually pretty uh, cathartic about it and being able to yeah. go back and forth and talk about it with Greg and, this week I had a lot of things I think that I'd like to maybe take back some of the takes that I had live. It's super hard uh, when you're in the moment. Some of the things that I thought was the case in the game and just was kind of caught up in some of my emotions that maybe wasn't the case after I watched it again and cooled down. Um, but by the end of our show, I, it was really good to just get right on and talk with somebody about it. And Greg is also, I think he matches my energy of we, we have some hot takes from time to time, but I think we try to be pretty level-headed and pragmatic. I think that's both of our personalities in general. It's not like sticky. It's just kind of who we are. Uh, and, and so being able to talk through it with another person makes it a lot easier for me, man. That type of lo- loss a few years ago would have just ruined me the rest of the day. I would have been irritable. I would have been a jerk. I would have just like, like no, me. Yeah. I wouldn't like want to me. hang out that's with anyone. That's how I was. That- <laughs> and, I swear to God, since I started doing this show, man, and being able to have that kind of cathartic experience of talking through it, it's been a lot better for me. I'm, I don't know if I'm just numb to it of 20 years of these types of letdowns, uh, but it, I think it has to do with the show and going through talking. So it is frustrating to know you have to do it right after that type of outcome. But once you get in it and get through it, it, it made me feel better, actually. It sounds like it's almost a little bit therapeutic yeah. for you to be able to, to go on because, again, at the end of the day, Look, and I don't try to hide it either. We're we're all Bills fans, Absolutely. first and foremost. Now, when you and Greg, and again, I've listened to many, and I mean many of your episodes that you guys do together, and you could be a Bills fan, but you kind of leave that at the door. Try when, to. When you're discussing, at least attempt to. For the most part, you guys are really good at that, whether it's talking about the game or whether it's previewing the next game because you guys do two shows a week or even during the offseason when you're going over topics, positional reviews, whatever. I think you guys are... Pretty unemotional for the most part, like I said, and an objective, which is kind of different than the natural Bills fan in us. But I did. I really thought about you guys. I'm like, I, I don't know how I could have done it. I just don't know. I would have, I would not have been able to concentrate because there's a lot more to the game. And we'll talk about a few of the things besides just the play. But when something like that happens, like, did you have a hard time thinking about other factors in that game besides just the play? Because honestly, and I don't know, maybe it's just from a lack of experience of me being put in a situation where I got to go on and do a show so quickly like you guys do, or like say Nate Gary does when he's on GR on the air, not long after the game. I I just would have a hard time wrapping my mind around anything else except for that. That's what I keep coming back to. Do you struggle with that at all? Well, one, Nate, I got to tip my hat to him. I don't get to listen to him because we're doing our show, but he has to deal with real callers. And that sounds terrible to me because I've heard WGR callers uh, before in my life. Oh, and I can't imagine the worst, the worst uh, after a game like that. I'm sure. I can't imagine having some of the calls that he must field. So he must be a saint. Uh, so that makes it a little easier for us. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the play quite a bit and you have to in, uh, in terms of having a post game show, obviously it's, it's an incredible play. It's something I've told bills fans. We have to prepare to see, for the next forever, we're going to see that forever. Uh, and 
so you did have to talk about, but for me, it wasn't hard to pivot to some other points in the game because I take notes when I'm watching the game for the show. Um, I highlight a lot of things and the game really shouldn't have come down to that play. I think Sean McDermott talked about that in his, you know, follow up press conference that it should never come down to that play. And so there was a number of things to talk about as to how you got to that point uh, for that play to even matter in that situation. And there's still a lot of positives. Like you, you, you're frustrated and it's emotional that you lost in that way, but the game wasn't a total loss. There was a lot of positives baked in there. There's a lot of positives surrounding, uh, you know, on a macro view, there's a lot of positives of this bills team, even with that loss, uh, doesn't change that really the trajectory of this team, in my opinion. So it was easy for me to kind of talk about things outside of the play, but it definitely consumed a majority of the podcast. Yeah, for sure. And again, I mean, don't really need to talk about the play that much. Everybody probably has their own thoughts on it. But I will say this, I, and I was mistaken about the identity, which by the way, also I'll add, typically after a Bills game, I will definitely check out your show. If I don't get to listen to it live, I'll listen to it later on in the evening. And I always try to listen to at least a half hour of Nate on the radio because if for no other reason, I like to get the pulse of what sure. Bills fans are thinking and, and talking about. Anyway, but... The play aside, I thought it was Jerry Hughes. I was wrong, and I found that out on Monday. But when I look at that play, and Joe B. wrote about this in The Athletic. I read that on Monday afternoon. He put a lot of the onus on that happening on Addison because he said he made a mistake, and he wrote this, and I agree with him. I don't know. I want to get your take on this. On that play, he lunged at Kyler Murray and missed him, and it allowed Murray to roll out to the left really set his feet and get the ball to the end zone. And Joe's take on that was if he would have stayed on his feet, had his hands up, it would have forced him to keep moving out to the left. And he probably wouldn't have had that opportunity to uh, set his feet and throw. If anything, he might've taken up off field and got maybe 10, 15 yards. It still would have been time for another play or whatever. But his point was that by Addison making the mistake of lunging at him and trying to sack him and missing him, that it allowed for Murray to be able to get the throw off. Do you put a lot of onus on that? Because that was my first thought. And again, I was wrong about the guy. I thought originally it was Jerry Hughes, but it turned out to be Addison. Do you agree with that take? <sighs> These ones are tough for me, man. I am a firm, uh, I, I do not believe in scapegoating any one particular anything in football. There's just too much going on in any given play. Um, sure. I saw people blaming Sarah Neal and Tremaine Edmonds for double teaming uh, Fitzgerald on the 25 yard route. I saw there's been a lot of blame to go around about this play. I think sure in a perfect world, does Addison play that differently? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but if he gets the sack that plays dead and the game's over also like <sighs> you're dealing with things happening in such a quick time frame uh as you know uh your son's playing right now like that stuff's all happening so quick and yeah. you're, you're just trying to make a play and go out there i don't know that it changes i mean it was a super improbable play it was one of the most improbable plays in football to launch the ball what was it 43 44 yards and for it to be into a guy that's triple covered and him just be more of a freak than the other guys that are there and come down with it so i'm not going to put the blame solely here on Addison. Could he have done things differently that could have changed the outcome of that play? I'm sure, certainly. Uh, but a lot of things could have been done in that play differently to change the outcome. But at the end of the day, dude, Hop just made a great play. He's a phenomenal freak of a human being. Uh, and 
you couldn't, I mean, the cover people are complaining about the coverage and Trey supposedly trying to intercept the ball. And it's like, dude, have you seen the pictures of how that he had three human beings, like superior athletes, some of the best on the Buffalo bills draping all over him and came down with that football. I don't know yeah. how, how you stop that play no matter what. Uh, he, I got, you're right. I mean, first and foremost, you got to give it up to him. It was just an incredible play. Um, I, another complaint I've heard from Bill's fans, which is unfounded, is they should have had someone bigger like Gabriel Davis back there to knock the ball down. First of all, it wasn't the last play of the game. No, it wasn't. There was still 11 seconds left on the clock when the when the play happened. So, you know, they could have easily, if they played it, they could have got 20, 25 yards and had another crack at the end zone. So there's no guarantee that the game would have ended. Now, if there would have been two seconds left and that was guaranteed to be the last play, sure. then maybe, sure, you might have somebody like Gabriel Davis out there to try to you know, just to knock the ball down. They but, were not. Yeah. But, uh, the bills were, this has been clearly talked about. So people that have been kind of saying things like, Oh, well they weren't in their um, hail Mary defense. They weren't prepared for that. Well, the Cardinals were not doing that. That's not what they were. They were trying to get another play. The Cardinals were running uh, what the Packers ran. Uh, that was talked about on Good Morning Football. This he was Cliff Kingsbury was asked about it. What was the play call? He was running exactly what the Packers ran against the Cowboys, where you try to pick up twelve to twenty yards and get another play. They had plenty of time to do it. There was eleven seconds left. He could have gotten the ball out with six seven seconds left, gotten an additional twenty yards, and you have the ball at the whatever thirty thirty five right. yard line, and then yep. take another play. That's what they were trying to accomplish. Addison's pressure changed that. The pressure changed that and he, and also the coverage did. They were in a typical, I think they were in like a quarters coverage uh, covering that play and it took away. I know there were some people online mad that there was double team on Fitzgerald, but it took away what exactly what the Cardinals were trying to accomplish on that play. So it wasn't a bad play call. And yeah, you're to your point in terms of having that taller person out there, they, the bills were anticipating that the Cardinals were going to try to get a second play, which they were it was the right anticipation and that it wasn't going to be just a straight up shot to the end zone. But still, even with that, they had it covered with the best player on their entire team in Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, who's been consistently one of the better players. And then Jordan Poirier coming over uh, and you can say what you want about how that was played, but dude, you have three of your best players in good coverage and the play still happened. So I don't know. People are going to nitpick it because we're sitting on a bye and it's two weeks and it's such an incredible controversial you know, play and how the game ended for the bills, but sometimes shit happens and you got to tip your cap to the other guys. I mean, that's why this game is so fun. We've seen those plays happen for other teams and think it's amazing. Like the game's not over till it's over. And that's why it's the NFL. It's crazy. And it's freaking frustrating when it happens to you. It definitely is. And I'll tell you what, I agree with what you said earlier that resonated with me when a team loses and it doesn't matter that, sure, that play is going to be shown forever. But when a team loses, just like the miracle home run throwback years ago against the Titans, it should have came down to that play. Yeah. That's Norwood's kick. Norwood's kick shouldn't have come down to that kick. Right, right, right. Exactly. When, the, when you lose in that fashion, which, you know, you could run that play a hundred times and maybe three out of a hundred times that plays, that game's going to end the way it did. But when you lose a game like that, you know, that is getting all the attention, but that's not why they lost that football game. It's one of the reasons, but it's not the biggest reason why. I feel like that game was set up that it should have never came down to it. And that was the kind of one I spent a little time today talking with you about, or 
some of those things that are completely separate from that one play and what's up with this team, maybe whether it's a season long problem or at least it was Sunday in Arizona. And one of them is dude. I mean the interior defensive line right now, they're just not good. They're not playing good football. Vernon Butler, Quinnen Jefferson, they were in the interior middle of the line and they were getting eaten alive. I mean, Kenyon Drake went for over a hundred yards. Murray ran a lot. They're just, it's been a problem a lot this year. Um, and at this point, all right, so they're 10 games in, Aaron. There's no interior, like, number one tech that that's good. Yeah. And nobody's coming through that door this season. You know what I'm saying? This right. is who they are right now at this point. I don't see this. Now, I do, do they have schemes and things to have better games on defense? Sure. We saw a lot of that against Seattle. They gave up 34 points but they also had four takeaways. So I thought the defense played pretty well. Right. But this interior defensive line is not good. And this is might be an uncomfortable question for people to, to hear or even for me to ask you, but certainly by no means is he even in the stratosphere of being a bust. But dude, when's Ed Oliver going to start having more of an impact? Now I know defensive linemen, you shouldn't judge them by stats. I know stats can be incredibly overrated when it comes to defensive linemen often because of the job that they're asked to do. But when's this guy going to start making some impact plays and in, in playing like a top 10 pick? Because I'm not seeing it. Maybe I'm wrong for asking you that, but that's the way I feel right now. Vernon Butler's given us nothing. Quentin Jefferson's been okay. Um, you know, some other guys just been in there, but I want more from Matt Oliver. I don't think I, that's unrealistic to ask for. I mean, we were talking, we've talked, Aaron, about Jordan Phillips and him being a beneficiary of a lot of, opportune sacks last year that probably, you know, were a lot of covered sacks, stuff like that. Well, when's that Oliver going to get one of those? You know what I'm saying? Where, where's the impact plays from this dude? Yeah, it's, it's tough. He's playing out of position a lot, right? Because we don't have that true one tech. So he's not playing what uh, in an ideal world at our Oliver sitting next to a star Latule or a bigger player that's taking space. And at Oliver's working that three tech position and doing work. He's had games where he's played pretty well. I actually think he played fairly well uh, in, in the game this weekend. But yeah, the splash plays aren't there. But he's created a lot of havoc in pressures uh, at times this year and led to some other sacks for other guys. Uh, That's fair. It's definitely hasn't. It's tough because this is the same thing I think that happened to Shaq Lawson when he was here for the first few years is a guy's drafted at a certain position. There's the fan base and the media sets certain expectations of for what you want and some of the milestones you want to see and the type of player you want to see because of that draft position and that pressure comes on and he's not there yet. I mean, he's so what are we in year two? He's. 26 games into his career uh i think i think it's gonna happen i don't know when it's gonna happen that he's gonna become the player that we thought he was i think he's still on the trajectory to do so i haven't seen anything that makes me think he's gonna be terrible or never live up to it i think there's been moments that look like he will have a chance to live up to it it's just not happening yet i get the frustration from fans um I don't have an answer to the interior defensive line. I thought they played pretty well actually against the Seahawks um, uh, for a number uh, uh, of series, but yeah, overall it's been inconsistent. Hasn't been great. Teams are running on the bills. I don't know. That's okay. Like again, it comes down to this last play of this game. If you would have told me you take away that last play and you would have told me that the bills defense held the Cardinals to 26 points. I think the bills win 
every single time, right? You you take away that last phenomenal miracle touchdown. They still held the Cardinals to 26 points and the Cardinals have been cooking lately on offense. So even with the running woes and the problems along the uh, defensive interior and the defensive line as a whole at times, they're still getting better as the season goes on. I think the last few weeks, we've actually seen the Bills defense play their best of the year. It's not what we're used to from a Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier defense, but it's still, they are improving here as the year goes on. And I don't know if we'll see the reminiscence of, you know, the 2019, 2020 defense, but I think that they, as a unit can progressively get better to a point where they can hold teams. It sounds crazy, but holding teams to under 30 points. So the offense can win. Cause I do think this offense can score 30 points against almost anyone. Have we greatly underestimated the impact of not having star little played this season with this defense? And I remember when it happened and it was going during a time where I was very fearful that a lot of big name players, cause I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know there's a couple of new England Patriots who opted out. And I remember thinking to myself at the time when it was star, I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's not that really that big of a deal. I think I was wrong about that because I think it is a big deal. Do you? Um, I always thought it was a bit of a big deal. And I don't know that again, it's not necessarily that it's star Latule. I think it's more that you look at what happened. So what look back to the 2017 bills, McDermott, uh, was that his first year, 2017? Yeah. And they got yep. run all over. That defense got run all over. They never had a one-tech for Sean McDermott's defense that year. Even Kyle Williams was playing out of place. Guys were playing all out of place, and they got run all over. They made it a priority to go get a guy, and then it ended up being Starla Tule, and fans were pissed that they overpaid him. Uh, and then they were pissed that he didn't get sacks and make big splash plays. And I fought with a lot of fans on Twitter for a long time about this because of the frustration that he wasn't showing up in the box scores. But – I would go into the all 22 and point out some of these plays like, Hey man, this guy's just, he's eating space, allowing Tremaine Edmonds to run free, allowing Matt Milano to run free from blockers. It makes a lot of difference. And I think it's really hard thing for people to wrap their minds around in this kind of age of fantasy sports and just stats and PFF and all these things. When you don't see the production from a position, it's hard to equate value to the, to the position. Um, But when you don't have it, I think it's one of those things you don't know what you got until it's gone. And now that that position is kind of missing, you see the trickle down effect and it affects the guys that would be playing next to him on the line. It affects the way Tremaine Edmonds has been able to play this year. Uh, It it affects a lot of things. There's a big ripple impact of that. But I agree with you. I think a lot of fans, when they saw uh, both EJ Gaines and Starla Tulele opt out that people are like oh oh well the bills are fine like they didn't have anyone big opt out but i think both of them actually hurt because we saw taron johnson struggle a ton here early in the season and i think you know ej Gaines' health problems uh and being able to stay on the field aside when he's played and played for the bills he played that position fantastic and he would have pushed taron johnson so i think both players not having them there was some impact to it but definitely star more so yeah and i'll, I'll admittedly i'm a little bit too uh Stat happy, which kind of falls in line with Vernon Butler because so he's a former first round pick and he had three pretty, I don't want to say shitty, but uneventful seasons to start his career with Carolina. Last year was a contract year and he played very well. He had six sacks and the Bills gave him a pretty decent contract. And now again, we're more than halfway through the season. And I know I'm throwing out only numbers here, but 
Well, he's got no sacks. Yeah. And he's not played. I, he's not made impact plays. I'll, I'll tell you that much. He's no. got one forced fumble. I'm looking. Again, it's maybe it's a little too early to judge. I don't know. Maybe just not the fit that we hoped he would be. But that doesn't look like, you know, for a team that's made a lot of good signings. And the Buffalo Bills have made a lot of good free agent signings over the last couple of years. This doesn't feel like one of them at this point. He's had some good games. I will give him some credit. He's had some good games. Um, but it again, I think that it's a number of things of playing, you know, a little bit out of position. He's also not a one tech. I think he's a guy that's supposed to be kind of just a rotational three tech. Um, even though he has the size to be a one tech, he just isn't. So I think he's playing out of position a little bit. Uh, but yeah, though he has not been the best uh, Brandon Bean free agent signing. But you, you're going to miss. You know, and I think people get frustrated with the ex Panther connection and stuff like that. And they they've definitely hit on a number of those guys as well, and they've missed on a number of those guys. But every team has that. I think we just hyper focus on the Bills because, like you and I, have to talk about them and cover them. And obviously, fans we uh, as the, we're fans of the team, we don't pay attention to other teams in the same way. But other teams have these types of misses regularly. We I think just over the first couple of years, we've been pretty spoiled with having uh, for the first time in at least my adult life, and I'm sure since the 90s for you, a good, competent GM in front office that either hits or brings in more talent than, you know, doesn't end up working out that you kind of forget about. So frustrating that Vernon Butler's not making the impact that maybe we thought he would when they brought him in. But some guys are. I think Mario Addison is making a, a nice impact along that line as a free agent. I I know fans miss Shaq Lawson. I don't. I don't know that I do. I think they got a guy cheaper that kind of fills a lot of that production. Um, I, I think they've done a nice job more times than not. But it's definitely frustrating when they miss. But you're not going to hit them all, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's spend a couple of minutes talking about our good buddy Josh Allen. So you look at the stat line: thirty-two of forty-nine, two eighty-four, two touchdowns, two interceptions. By the way, I talked to Joe Buffalo wins on Twitter today. Told him I was going to be taping with you tonight. And he wanted me to make sure that, that he didn't pass for 300 yards. That he didn't pass for 300 yeah. yards. <laughs> you know who else didn't pass for 300 yards? Kyler Murray. And they won. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So the 284, two and two. He had uh, 38 yards rushing and a 12-yard touchdown reception. But he had two pretty bad interceptions. And he had multiple other, we'll call them turnover-worthy throws. Yeah. Where they should have been interceptions. Um, I kind of felt like it was like the Rams game where I thought he played bad in the second half, but when the money was on the line, he really regrouped in that final drive. Oh, it was beautiful. Like, great. That throw to Stephon Diggs for that touchdown, that was sexy, man. Yeah, that was, was a better, the, the, Allen definitely had the better big time throw of the game. The, the Murray play was more on DeAndre Hopkins making a play, right? Like Murray just kind of put that ball up there and Hopkins made a play where right, Josh absolutely. Allen's was freaking money. Uh, and threw that ball on a rope and only where Stephon Diggs could get it. It was on one of the best plays, which I thought was going to be the walk-off uh, of that game. An incredible moment for him. But you're right. Um, he struggled. It was an up-and-down game for him. Uh, I, I thought he did some nice things. And if this is his floor, if this is like a, the sloppy Josh Allen game we're going to get, that sign me up, dude. Like that it's going to happen. He's going to have games that don't go his way the entire game. He's going to throw some interceptions from time to time. He could have had a lot more. He could have had a lot more sacks, 
Uh, but he didn't, and that's okay too. And they moved the ball a number of times. They didn't finish some of those drives and put uh, Tyler Bass in some tough situations, which he nailed. Um, but if this is Josh Allen's floor, I'm all for it, dude. Uh, and that's what it kind of appears to be. I think his worst game was still that Chiefs game this year. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying this was Josh Allen's worst game. I don't think it was. Uh, but if this is kind of where he bottoms out, at and that it just goes up from these types of games, I'm all for it. Sign me up. Well, let me say this, okay? He is more and more reminding me of Jim Kelly, and I'm not talking about the athletic stuff. I mean, quite obviously, Jim Kelly was never going to run around like Josh Allen does, and I'm so that's not where I'm going with that. This is where I'm going with this. I remember, now that Jim Kelly's been retired forever, he's an NFL first ballot Hall of Famer, you look at the numbers, and they were fantastic. But while he was playing, there were a lot of games where Jim Kelly sucked for three quarters. Right. I mean, terrible passes, horrible turnovers. He would throw the ball in the triple coverage all the time, you know. But when, again, when the money was on the line and it was do or die, he took the team down the field and found a way to win. Yep. I That's what Josh Allen did against the Ram, for the Rams. And that's what he did at the end of the day for his, like you said, the mistakes he's made. He put the Bills in position to win, and he did it yeah. with the with his arm and with his legs. And it's like, well, yeah, he played good this, this, and that. Well, guess what? They just lost to a team. What's Arizona? I think they're six and three, seven and three, whatever they are. Yeah, they're, they're one three. of the better teams in the NFL. Yeah, and the Bills should have won the game at the end of the day. Did Josh Allen make mistakes? Yes. Is it fair to say if you're going to criticize him that we're not for a couple of mistakes if they did a couple of things better on offense? that he doesn't come down to that final drive. Sure, I agree with that. But at the end of the day, your quarterback's not going to be perfect, like you said. But if this is his floor, and this is his shitty game, but yet he still finds a way in the last four minutes of the game to get you to lead, you're going to live with that every, every single time. Yeah, absolutely. He, I think he did enough to make up for some of those mistakes. It's uh, it's funny because I I believe that narratives drive a lot of how we talk about sports uh, and how the media drives those narratives. If that pass to Hopkins goes incomplete, the conversation we're having all day today is a totally different conversation about what kind of guy Josh Allen is, right? And that he's the MVP front runner in the NFL if the Bills win that after game, that I touchdown believe. drive, he's definitely in yep. that conversation again. And nothing changed for Josh, right? He still had that same game and let his team down. But because Kyler Murray connected with Hawkins, everyone's just kind of nitpicking. Well, he had these interceptions. He played sloppy here and there. It wasn't a great game. This is his floor. But yeah, if that pass gets dropped, we're having an entirely different conversation about who is Josh Allen and can he lead the Bills to a Super Bowl? That's the conversation we're having for the next two weeks all across the national media. So it's interesting how narratives change, even though the the play of Josh Allen himself didn't change at all, uh, just the outcome of the game did. And so the narrative totally changed around him. So again, that's kind of what I said when we went live. And there's still a lot, even though it's emotional and it feels terrible, there's some really good stuff in here. Maybe the narrative isn't going to be positive from the national media, but it doesn't change what actually kind of occurred right in the game. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now you said the word terrible. And when you say that, one of the things I've been thinking about is the Bills running game. Yeah. It's not been good. 35 yards out of 11 carries against Arizona. And I, I saw a stat, all 35 of those yards came on three carries. So they had the other eight carries, netted them a total of zero yards. 
Again, only 11 carries from the running backs. That goes back to last week against Seattle. I think they only had 11 carries between the two running backs as well. So basically, they're not even trying to run the football. They're only 29th in the NFL right now in rushing. I'm looking at the numbers now. Devin Singletary's on pace to lead this team with only 600 rushing yards this year, which would be the lowest since Fred Jackson had 525 back in 2014. There was a timeshare going on with Booby Dixon and C.J. Spiller, who was hurt for part of that year. Point being is the running game, while I don't think it needs to be great because this is clearly a pass-first offense where Josh Allen is going to have a lot of control of it, the running game needs to be better with these running backs. It's not good at all right now, and I don't know how much of that is on the running backs. How much do you think of that right now is on the running backs versus maybe the, the play calls and the offensive line, which has been really weird because minus the Seattle game, I thought the pass blocking this year has been excellent yeah. as opposed to the run blocking, which has been terrible, unless part of it is the running backs. Like, what do you think with that? Um, well, I don't think the pass blocking was particularly good in this game, considering they didn't have any real edge threat, right, with Chandler Jones out and uh, uh, Jordan Phillips not playing. Like they, they, they still got to Josh a number of times, but he pulled some of those kind of yeah, he didn't get sacked, but he was under duress a lot. He was under duress a lot. He evaded a few sacks with his like Ben Roethlisberger type ability to not be able to be taken down to the ground. So they they still struggled. I I don't know who it's on, man. I'm having a tough time figuring out what exactly is wrong with the run game because I think it's a number of things. Probably like all things are, I don't think you can scapegoat anyone and just say, hey, this this plays on the offensive line uh, and that plays on the play call. I think there's probably a little bit of everything baked into this. Uh, I think at times it might be either lack of going to the run and getting it developing, uh, bad play calls, Josh not checking out of a bad run call or checking into a bad run call at times. Uh, There's a lot of things that goes on. uh, And I think right after the game, I think a lot of people just wanted to point the finger at Brian Dable for the the problems in the run game. And sure, some of it might be, but he's also, I mean, he's called a number of different types of runs and they're still not getting home. So like how many play calls can he call that are, are going to get this game going? And it, some of it is on the offensive line. You see missed blocks happen when you do watch the all 22. So it's a number of things going on right now in the run game. I'm hoping what happens here is they are, it's, Sean McDermott talked about it saying no, it's a known problem. They do a pretty good job of addressing known problems, right? Whenever we get talking about gap integrity, the next couple of weeks, we see it better. Whenever they talk about cornerbacks tackling poorly, the next couple of weeks, we see it get better. So I do expect it to be more of an emphasis here over the next two weeks. Hopefully, we don't know what's going on with Mitch Morris and why he didn't play, but hopefully he's back starting against the Chargers. Feliciano's over at guard. Cody Ford's back at guard and we can get our first look because what we've only seen a look at a healthy offensive line. Well, not even because Ford didn't play the game. Feliciano came back. So we haven't even had any snaps in 2020 with an offensive line of what you thought it might be week one, day one, because Feliciano was out and then Morris was out and this, they have not been able to have an entire continuous stretch with the what they want at the starting offensive line so far this year so hopefully they get that back and they can get this run game gelling a little bit but I agree with you we don't need it to be something where it's 25 carries a game and hundreds of yards that they don't need that they just need an efficient and productive run game when it's called upon they can still run 15 to 18 times a game I just need it to be efficient when they do it forgive 
the stupidity of this question. Like, if you're going to laugh, do it yeah. internally in your in your own mind. But do you feel like maybe these running backs that they have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe they don't like, some running backs need to carry the ball 20 times to be most effective. Whereas right. other teams have a running back by committee, like, say, the Eagles or, you know, the Giants right now without Barkley where the, 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 the carries or the touches are a little more evenly distributed and they're fine with that. Like, do you think that might be a problem with this one? Like Devin Singletary, I mean, every running back wants the ball more, right. but do you think in their mind it might be a problem that maybe they're pressing, like maybe for an example, Devin Singletary's pressing a little bit or Zach Moss because, you know, they know they're only going to get five, six, seven carries of the football and then maybe they're trying to do too much. Do you see that right now or is, as a problem? Or is again, is it just part of, a whole thing where maybe it's some play calls, maybe it's the rotation, maybe it's just the line not doing their job as well. Yeah, I don't know. know. It's So with like Devin, it shouldn't be because he was getting limited touches for the majority of last year and was still productive, right? Like, Yeah. And so he should still be able to, you would think, accomplish that um, again going forward. I think for most running backs in the NFL, there's not a ton of bell cow backs left in the league even Kendrick Jager only had 16 carries he had 100 yards but he only had 16 carries so you don't see a lot of guys getting those 20 touches the Dalvin Cooks of the world I think you know and when Saquon's healthy those kind of guys um that's kind of a thing of the past I think most places kind of break up the touches and analytics kind of suggest that's what we got to do uh to break up some of those touches so if that's the problem then those guys need to figure it out because i don't think any, either one of them is either good enough to be a 20 touch back or is ever going to probably get that in their career to be honest so they got to figure out how to make the most out of their seven eight touches each a game out of the backfield uh and, and we saw that they can do it we saw it against the patriots that they were able to get something going it's just yeah i think it's all these different things baked in together getting going and, and getting it working and that's what the bye week is about, really, right? Self-evaluation. Yeah. And luckily, the passing game is doing really well. So I don't know that they're going to have to put a lot of emphasis on cleaning too much of that up. I think there's some things to clean up. But I think this offense for the next two weeks is going to take a long, hard look at this run game, get together with Bobby Johnson, the offensive coordinator who helps you know develop some of that run scheme stuff, Brian Dable. They're going to put their heads together and come up with a way to fix this. And I'm excited to see how it gets fixed because I'm a, I still am a firm believer, man. Once you get into playoff football, passing's great. It does lead to, to wins in the regular season and stats, but you need to still be able to do kind of not old school football and, and just smash mouth, but you need to have balance and be able to stop the run and, and then run the ball. And if they can't do that, I think that is going to limit some of their success. I think the lack of a run game is this big conversation about third quarter. I think uh, the run game is a big problem uh, of the inability to keep things going in the third quarter. So I think they got to get it going uh, if they want to be a team, which I think they can be, and they have the ability to be a team that wins a playoff game and goes further into the playoffs. Yeah. The last thing that I wanted to hit on in regards to things that I attribute the Bills losing this game to was, all right, so I told you I, I went to my friend's house with a pretty decent crowd and watching the game. I was kind of speechless on the last play when Hopkins scored it and then won the game. Like I immediately walked in the bathroom. I was ready to throw up. I didn't say a word. It took me about two minutes to even say something. There was only one part of the game where in that moment, I just started screaming and swearing at the TV, losing my damn mind. So the bills are up 23, 19 at the time. It's late in the third quarter. 
Devin Singletary takes a short pass from Josh Allen on a free play. Um, Arizona jumped off sides. He found Singletary and he ran for 21 yards, catch and run right. down the Arizona 40. And then it gets negated because freaking Dawson Knox with a, a play that I saw and I just lost my mind instantly, a block in the back. This guy, and I remember going back to the season and I had Bruce Nolan on the podcast and we went through the topic that day was, the topic was the most talented players, regardless of position on the Buffalo Bills roster. And he had Dawson Knox pretty high and was very high on him. This guy, I'm sorry, I'm just, look, I'm going to say it the way I see it. I think he's hurt this team this year in every way imaginable with missed blocks that happened against Seattle last week, uh, drops and stupid penalties. That was not his first dumb penalty this season. This guy and, and you know, the concussion happens and you know, I want to call the guy injury prone, been hurt two different times this year, but whatever that, that aside, my point is this, it's a goddamn free play, man. You know, it's a free play. Everybody knows it's a free play and you have a horrible block and that hurt them. Yeah. They're up four points. I mean, they're driving 21 yard play wiped out because of a dumb block in the back. This guy has been more of a liability than an asset to the Buffalo Bills this year for sure. And I think a lot of people, and maybe the reason why I'm angry about him is because I expected a significant step up in year two for him. I ain't seeing it. I don't know if you are, but this guy's hurting the team, man. This one's a tough one for me. So first of all, I think Tyler Croft's the number one tight end regardless of what the Bills depth chart or Arlan's depth charts say. I think if he's healthy, the Bills are leaning on him. Okay. There's a lot that goes into playing tight end, right? Like I think fans get frustrated by the Lee Smiths and the Tyler Crofts of the world. Again, that they don't produce uh, a ton like some of these big name tight ends do. But I think you're seeing here with Dawson Knox, why the tight end position is so important to do some of the other stuff like blocking. And, and, you know, being consistent with your hands when you're called upon, like just very simple, basic, fun, foundational things about playing the position are important. Um, Knox, a little bit about him. I think this is something we talked about a lot with Josh Allen, right? He came into the league uh, with way less reps than the Sam Darnolds of the world, the Josh Rosens of the world, who all were elite 11 quarterbacks and big school quarterbacks and played tons of football and, had all these games and reps uh, to them. And Josh Allen came in as this Juco, no recruit guy, way far behind all these guys in reps so that he was much more raw and we needed to be more patient to give him the opportunity to develop. Dawson Knox is that of tight ends, right? This guy didn't play tight end ever until college. He was a quarterback. He comes in, starts playing tight end at a school that doesn't use a tight end, right? He had zero production, at an old miss. He was a super raw prospect that we were bills were drafted purely on the athleticism size and potential that he could be a real good tight end in the NFL comes in his rookie year, has some splash plays, but he wasn't super productive. I think fans got excited about those splash plays he made and saw the potential that the Bills saw in that athleticism. But the only reason he was out on the field is because Tyler Croft was hurt. Still his injury lingered into that year. He wasn't supposed to get that type of burn in his first year. He got it. He did some nice things with it. I think expectations kind of exceeded from there. Tight end, I think, is right next to quarterback on offense is one of the most difficult positions to translate from college to the pros. And so I, I do think we have to give Dawson Knox some time. I, I saw people in my 
timeline and, and in my mentions yesterday talking about yeah, it's time to move on from this kid it's time to cut our loss and it's like dude he's on a rookie deal he's a young kid there's there's still a lot of potential there i think they can make it work but i agree with you it's frustrating to see him continuously be a player that makes dumb boneheaded moves or fumbles the ball after a big play or misses a catch that could keep a drive going on third down I don't know what it is about him. If, if it's just a mental thing right now that he's got to get over that hurdle, if he can ever get over it, I'm willing to wait it out. Cause I do, I, I agree with Bruce in the sense that I think the potential is there that he can be something special if they can get it out of him. And I'm willing to be patient and wait it out. It just sucks when it impacts a game in such a way for sure. It really did. And <laughs> you know, I, I could care less about, um, Tyler Croft re-signing or the Bills signing him or re-signing him, I should say, not long ago. But now I kind of hope he's... He's had a nice season, man. I really like the way he's done. I'll tell you what, when you, if you told me on, you know, when the news broke about the Bills with COVID, that guys are going to miss the game, Josh Norman and Levi Wallace and Dean Marlowe and Tyler Croft, I did not think at the time that Tyler Croft might have been the most impactful guy that was not out there. Right. And now I'm starting to feel the way that way because... Which leads to one of my bright spots, because I think there were some bright spots. So I, we just talked about other reasons beyond just the play, why they lost. Like the interior the defensive line just didn't do a good job. Defensive line as a whole just wasn't that good. Josh didn't have one of his best games, although he put him in position to win. The running game kind of sucked. Dawson Knox made a big mistake, and he really isn't helping the team much right now. Uh, bright spots, I just mentioned some DBs who didn't play. I thought Dane Jackson looked really good. And this is twice now. That I've really thought, you know, in his both those opportunities, he's looked good. I think Tremaine Edmonds is starting to look good again. Um, maybe Klein you and everyone, good. yeah, AJ Klein. I'll tell you what, eleven tackles in a sack. He might he didn't play as good as he did against Seattle, but you know, not he's a moving lot of around a lot better than he was. He's playing a lot better. He's playing a lot better. Tremaine Edmonds looks a lot better to me. Yeah, and I've been very critical of him this season. So I guess maybe there was some validity to the injury playing a key role on why Tremaine Edmonds was looking pretty shitty, frankly, early in the year. But uh, I thought he looked good. I thought A.J. Klein looked good. Dane Jackson. I don't need to talk about Diggs and Beasley and how important they are. Uh, Beasley, I think Beasley had his best game of a God, he's so good. I almost trust, you know what? If you need four or five yards on first down, I trust the Bills to look for him on first or third and four, whatever, more than I did run the football at this point. He's better than a running play. You know what I mean? Um. Mitch Morris, you hit on this. He didn't play uh, during the press conference today. They said that it was a football decision. That's bullshit. I don't believe that for a second. I do not buy that. He was active. I think that he was active and he was going to be the play on an emergency basis. I think they wanted to give him an extra week. And uh, I don't buy the fact that they wanted to run the same offensive line. I don't know. Maybe you disagree with that. I think, it, I don't know. It, it's It's a tough Thing. I know there's some people in the media saying that he got benched. I don't think he got benched. What's your take on that real quick? I, this one's a tough one for me, man. I don't, I'm going to, I just probably piss fans off. I'm going to stay away from speculating on this one because there's a number of ways it could go. Uh, it seems weird the way McDermott answered some of these questions and the response. 
Um, it seems weird how quick the media is to jump into what it was without nobody really having a clear answer to it. And McDermott said he wasn't benched um, and that he was active. So I don't know what they're doing. I'm just hoping that when we play, when the Bills play the Chargers, that he's the starting center. That's all that I hope for. I hope that there's no anything else going I got on. A bear, that's gonna... I got a bear. I got a bear in an order of wings that says Mitch Morris is starting at center. I hope so, man, because I, for so many reasons, I don't want the narratives. I don't want the media. I don't want the distraction to this team of anything going on. And he is, I know, uh, you know, Daryl Williams got the PFF all pro at right tackle or whatever. I think Mitch Morris, uh, you know, Deion Doxon, Dawkins is actually having a really nice year, but I think Mitch Morris, when he was healthy before the concussion, is having one of the best years along that offensive line. He's done a lot of work with, frankly, crappy guard play to both sides of him for this entire year. He's really held the load of that interior offensive line and kept things moving. So hopefully he's just, it's just a weird press conference and nothing's really made of it. It's just McDermott being overly tight lipped with the media and making it a story out of nothing. I honestly, I truly think that's what it is. I, uh, I just, I feel like he's, he doesn't McDermott. I'm talking, I don't think he's going to put like the franchise out there in, in tr- potential trouble, you know, by saying, because if he says they were playing it cautious with a, a concussion uh, and just the liability sure. of saying that, and you know, and, but and without making him inactive, uh, I don't know. I just I, calling it a benching. I kind of feel like that, at least a little bit of of a reach because that's basically what he was saying. But anyway, I, I'd be willing to bet money that I think they just gave him an extra week and uh, I think he'll be back out there and I think Feliciano will play guard. I think they're going to look forward to seeing, hopefully Cody Ford can get back to in their scene. That last thing, by the way, you hit on him earlier. I got to get major, major props. Tyler Bass won my heart on Sunday. He completely changed my opinion of him. I hated him early in the year. I thought he was not ready to be in the NFL. He looked weird. I mean, some of his misses were so bad. He's gotten better, but I still didn't trust him. I trust your boy now. Yeah. 54, 54, 55, 58-yard field goals, man. He was fucking, he was probably the MVP of the game for the Bills. I mean, you can make a very fair case. Three kicks from 54 or more yards. He won me over, man. I've Now I feel, I was very nervous when any, he would kick an extra point or something. I'm starting to, get confidence in him. And obviously he's starting to get a lot of confidence in himself because your boy looked good, man. And look, at some point, a game's going to come down to a kick at some point, you know, hopefully. Well, look at the playoff game a year ago uh, with Houston. They wouldn't kick a long field goal because they did not trust Stephen Hauschka to make a 50 yard field goal attempt. Now you got a guy that can, make a 65-yard field goal attempt uh, the way he kicked that 59-yarder. It's, it had it was to really go, cool to see. It was good to see. He looks like a good kid who, you know, like I said, I think his confidence was red a little bit. Not all his fault. couple bad holds. Sure. Which, by the way, the holder also had a 12-yard shank uh, on Sunday. Bojo, I don't man. know what the hell that was. He literally gave Arizona three points with just with, with that punt. That was horrific. Um, so, all right, so big picture. The Bills are 7-3 and three at the bye now at the end of the day. It sucks and it hurts, but at the end of the day, look, I mean, if we talked 10 weeks ago and I said the Bills are going to be 7-3 and three at the bye, I know you would sign up for that. I sure as hell know I would yeah. as well. I'm good with that, but, I mean, we, we at least have to acknowledge it here. They did blow a game. They, lost, they were winning 23-9. They should have won the game. Right. Okay? I watched the week before, I watched the Miami Chargers, or, uh, 
Miami-Arizona game. Frankly, I think Miami played a better game in Arizona than the Bills did. I'm being completely honest here. So you got Miami at 6-3, and three, and they got at Denver, at the Jets, and Cincy over their next three. You are very, so the Bills are on a bye, so they're, if Miami wins at Denver, they'll both be seven and three. Yeah, the, and then they got the Dolphins Jets are going to tie it this weekend for sure. And Twitter's right. going to be they're a gonna shit have the show. Jets. Yeah, and then they're going to have the Jets on the road, and then Cincy. So that's their next three. You're looking at a really good chance that Miami Dolphins are going to be nine and three going into the final quarter of the season. So, any thoughts? And that's probably what stings most about this game. If there's any lingering effect, now at the end of the day, I still think the Bills are going to win the AFC East. I'm very confident that the Buffalo Bills are going to be in the playoffs, but. That win would have gave them some comfort, some a little more margin for error sure. in a future week. Because now you got Miami, again, breathing on your neck, half game behind, very likely going to catch them this week. Um, you know, you're going into the last month of the season, very likely tied or maybe even a game back of Miami. But now, in fairness, again, Miami finishes pretty tough. I don't remember all four of the games, but I know they're at Kansas City or they're playing Kansas City, Miami, I'm talking about. And obviously, week 17. At Buffalo. Right. Suddenly and they still that got a game, Patriots game too, right? Right, right. Yep. So and as to the Bills, it looks potentially anyway, that 17th week for the Bills, yo, might mean something, man. They're playing Miami in Buffalo, you know? So, uh, but anyway, what would be like one? So going into the, this bye now, 10 games in, you got like one or two biggest Bill's takeaways from this season so far, whether it's something good or something bad. Well, I do. I want to just for a second, like there's a frustration in the fan base right now. And there's this weird, in my opinion, it's weird that all of a sudden we've come to this idea that we have to accept perfection from this team and that this team is maybe something that they're not. They're seven and three. I can't remember a time. The last time it was like this, I was nine years old. I was a kid. Like this hasn't happened in our lives. Usually this time of year, dude, when I'm doing shows like yours or our own show, we're crunching numbers at hovering around 500 to see if there's even a chance that they can hang around in the hunt and what other teams we're watching other games, see what they have to do. That's not the case right now. Uh, Obviously I think people will be paying attention to that Miami game this weekend, but Keep in mind, Miami lost to the Bills already. So we've already got a little bit of a lead on that tiebreaker on them. The Bills are 4-0 in the division. Miami's 1-2. The Bills are 5-2 in the conference. Miami's 3-2. So if they tie at the end of the year, Bills still have the advantage here. They're in the driver's seat still. They control their own destiny because we do play Miami again. And they, they have the ability to win a bunch of these games coming up, I think. I, I don't think that there's a team in the league that I don't feel confident that the Bills can play with and win against. Uh, so I, this is a great time to be a Bills fan. And I know fans are really frustrated right now and kind of turning on each other on Twitter. There should be no need. We should be celebrating that this team is heading in the right direction. They've got young players at key positions. Josh Allen has proven, at least to me, and I think even to our friend Joe, that he's going to be the quarterback of this team for the next 10 years. And maybe this year isn't the Super Bowl year, but I think they the window for success is bigger than it's ever been and wide, more wide open than it's ever been in my adult life as a Bills fan. So this is an exciting time. But as far as the team right now, I think the good things are, obviously this offense has proven that they can put up more than, I think last year they struggled to consistently put up over 20 points. A game now we're seeing that they can put up 30 regularly i think that's a great sign 
the defense has regressed, but I do think they're starting to get better as the year goes on. They're finding sort of a groove and how they bring pressures and creating some turnovers. They're getting more sacks. All these things are starting to pop up at the right time. This bye week couldn't have come at a better time. Late in the year, we haven't had any major significant long-term injuries. Matt Milano's been the biggest. You might be able to get him back coming here up after the bye here. You're going to get all these other guys back. Mitch Morris, get some rest for John Brown. Get these guys healthy because this is going to be an important stretch. And with, with or without, without Miami Dolphins on your back, I've been saying all year long, dude, the teams that have the most success, whether whatever their record is in the regular season, go on a little bit of a run to end the season, right? Like they win four games in a row at the end of the year, five games in a row and take some of that momentum into the playoffs and, and build off that winning a stretch of games in a row. And I really believe that if this Bills team is going to make a splash in the playoffs and win this division, they're going to have to do something like that of get healthy and go on a run here and win whatever, four out of five or five in a row or whatever it is, uh, do something like that. And that that's going to be what allows them to build that confidence to go in and either beat a team that they're not supposed to in the playoffs or beat a team that they're going to probably be evenly matched with. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I love your take about this buy coming at the perfect time. Absolutely right. No other reason. Just uh, first of all, to be able to regroup from this loss, if it's going to linger, it sucks, especially as a fan to have to live with it. Imagine being a player right now, having to live with the game, knowing you should have won. And then especially just getting a couple of these guys who are key guys, healthier and back on the field for the stretch run is big. Uh, For me, I, I hit on one of them. One of my, I miss Star Lola Day. I never thought I would have missed him. Um, I would like to see more following the bye over these last six games. Like I said, for Matt Oliver, um, I'd like to see Dawson Knox, if he's going to get more opportunities to be a little bit more of an asset as opposed to a liability. The mistakes are really hurting him. So I hope that stops. On the flip side, I would say, Steph, I knew Stefan Diggs was going to be good. I knew he was going to be the best receiver. I didn't know he was this good. I I just, I didn't. I didn't know that he was going to fit in that quickly, pretty much from literally the first week of the season, that well with Josh Allen. Their rapport is incredible. Um, speaking of, I think another big takeaway that I have right now is I think Josh Allen is absolutely in the MVP conversation. I still think so. He's at worst, no worse than say the top five right now. Absolutely. I think he's played very well. And again, even his bad games haven't been that bad. Uh, I saw a lot worse. Russell Wilson turned the ball over four times last week against the Bills. Josh Allen ain't done that this year. So, you know, I got that. And then I think the Bills, even with this loss, I still say based on their schedule and the way they're playing and the expectation of how I expect them to play going forward, I don't see this team finishing any worse than 11-5. and I think 11-5 and might even be their floor right now realistic floor. I mean, if they play terrible, sure, they can lose four games of their last six or whatever, but this is an 11-5 team at worst. Yeah. I think. I think so, too. It'll be interesting to see how they respond from this tough loss, right? That's. I think that's the thing I'm most excited to see when we come back out of the other side of this bye is how does this team respond? Because that is a tough loss, man. That could be... I hate to put it out there in the universe, knock on wood, the type of thing that could derail a team that doesn't have the uh, mental ability to go through some adversity like Sean McDermott is always talking about. But I'm thinking that it's going to be the opposite and that they're going to kind of 
kind of put a little fire underneath them and, and rally them around to say, hey, we can't allow like that Rams game. We, you know, we got back in that one and, and it went our way. Well, this one didn't. Uh, we can't allow games to get this close when we have the opportunity to put a team away. You got to put a team away. So hopefully that's what they get out of this. And we see a different type of team with a little bit more edge throughout an entire four quarters, starting to kind of put teams away and establishing themselves as, hey, we're a legitimate top tier playoff team in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. You know, one last thing too, I'm going to let you go. I got to give some props to uh, Bill's Mafia. And I'll tell you that term, I have a love-hate relationship with that term. I like it in a way, in other ways I don't. And it gets a kind of a a bad reception at times because you start thinking of the people who throw each other through tables and all the crazy shit that some Bill's fans, Bill's Mafia is associated with. But, you know, you hear the term all the time, Bill's Mafia is a family. And that's not just a catchphrase, man. It's real. And look no further than with Josh Allen, his grandmother passing away. And, you know, it's just beautiful what's happened over this past week or so. So I'm sure everybody knows that uh, they started a foundation that would go to Children's Hospital in honor of his grandmother, Patricia Allen. Dude, we're taping this on Monday night. So it's, I think it's roughly like eight days or so. And Bill's Mafia, it's not just Bill's Mafia fan. It's just people all over. Nearly $670,000 they've raised for Children's Hospital. Almost 27,000 donations have been made in like barely a week. It's just incredible. And one last thing too. Now I know the, the donations have varied, but for the most part, people are donating $17 in honor of Josh Allen's number. I know this might sound silly to you or to people listening, some people at least, but no, we're in a, we're in a recession. We're in a pandemic. We're also near the holidays. 17 bucks. That's a meal. That's going out to eat. That might move for some people that have donated. I promise you even just 17 bucks. That might move in, that moves a needle at least a little bit in your house for your finances in terms of you know, your disposable income, stuff that you go out and have dinner with your family or whatever, put towards a pizza, have a little bit of fun with. 17 bucks moves the needle a little bit during these times more than normal. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it blows me away the way, the generosity that that just people have. And I'm sure there's other, I don't pay attention to other fan bases, obviously, like I do Bill's Mafia. But it does, isn't it just incredible to, to raise $670,000? And it'll be more by the time people hear this. It's just a, uh, it really blows me away, bro. Dude, I thought it was pretty incredible. Uh, I donated early on that evening, and then I kind of kept an eye on it. And when it got up to like thirty thousand dollars, I was like, "Holy cow!" I told my wife, "I'm like, dang, they like raised thirty grand uh, off of doing this." And I t- anticipated those big kind of fundraisers. We've seen it before, Bills Mafia, but then this thing like took a life of it. It just snowballed here. This one, and when they got to half a million, and Josh donated the extra what was it seventeen thousand dollars seventeen grand right to it it was just it showed something special about the community and how they rally around this football team um and i think it showed the players something special josh talked about it how he really would like to i don't think it's coach speak or player speak that when he says he would really like to do play his whole career here you know and hopefully that it works out that way i think that's true i think he knows that this is a fit for him and and he's been accepted into this community and then it showed in that outpouring. Uh, and, uh, uh, it's just great to see they do rally around things, 26 shirts and Del Reed has done a great job of kind of 
bringing that spirit to Bill's Mafia. Because I agree with you. I have a love-hate relationship. Having lived out of state most of my life or uh, not being from Buffalo and living in New England, I always get the text messages of people burning themselves, smashing tables, doing stupid shit. And I have to defend that I've never seen it. I had season tickets for years. I've never seen any of that behavior. It's a the total minority of Bills fans are doing this crazy shit. Sure, it's fun and whatever, but there's all this other cool stuff that this fan base has done and the charity work and all the the nice things that happen out of this kind of group of Bills Mafia and and to see it and and then to see it kind of get told on the national stage is really cool too. It really is, man. And yeah, I agree with everything you say. Well. We'll kind of leave it at that. It's it's just, you know, in this world right now that's going on, and as corny as this may be, it's true. Everybody seems to hate each other. It's just so much division. Maybe hate's a strong word, but there's certainly division. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Open it up. Don't open it up. I love Donald Trump. I hate Donald Trump. Biden, this, that. You know, it's just nice to see something that feels good. You know what I'm saying? It's just something that just feels good. There's there's nothing wrong with it. There's no stance you could take that's against, against it. it. Right. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing and it just feels good. And I will say yeah, though, we, after we, I, I got off our show and got back on Twitter after our show, I uh, messaged a couple of our friends, Bruce Nolan and Greg Thompson. And I said, Oh, it looks like Twitter got over the donation things and are back to killing each other over the well, Of course. <laughs> spoiled ass fan base, man. A spoiled ass fan base. That's what they are. This team didn't go to the playoffs for 17 years. Yeah. And a couple of years later, you know, I guess not going 16 and 0 is not good enough for something. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. But anyway, all right, everyone, give Aaron a follow on Twitter at Aaron Quinn 716. Cover one Buffalo podcast. Aaron with Greg immediately after Bill's games. And they also have a preview show during the week as well. Good stuff as always, brother. You know, I love having you on the pod. Appreciate it, man. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you again. Recurring guest, my good friend Aaron Quinn. Make sure you check him out on the Cover One Buffalo podcast. The show very well done with him and his partner, Greg Thompson. Twice a week there on Cover One. Again, thank you very much, Aaron. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go and do that right now. Rate and review all that fun stuff. I mean, seriously, I keep saying at the end of every episode, asking you to do it. So please go ahead and do it. Rate and review. It's really going to help me continue to grow this podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. Got some highlight clips up from some current and episodes from the past. Pretty soon, going to start having some original content that you're only going to find there. Not going to hear it on this podcast or anywhere else. So that's coming soon. Talk of Buffalo podcast on YouTube. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, polls, upcoming guests, promos, all kinds of stuff going on there at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time and I really mean it. I know how many great podcasts there are out there. Competition is more fierce now than ever. And when you're locked into this show for 30, 60, Whatever amount of minutes, it really, truly means a lot to me. I'm very grateful and humble, and I don't take it lightly. So thank you very much. Have a good, safe rest of the week, and we will be back with a brand new show on Friday.